Joe Mazzulla is rightfully awarded the head coaching title. Marcus Smart dazzles in his return to the parquet. And we've got mid-season awards to hand out, plus some all-star trivia. All of that coming up on First to the Floor. It's going to be first to the floor here, and it was Marcus Smart as he usually is. That's the first time we've seen a superstar in green and white sacrifice the body. Hey, hey, welcome into another episode of First of the Floor. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Joining me, as he often does, Mr. Wayne Spoonie. Spoons, welcome, sir. How you doing? Good, Ben. I feel like we haven't talked in ages, man. I barely <laughs> dropped in on the trade deadline. I was sick on Tuesday, so I'm excited to get into it with you. Yeah, trade deadline spun us into a frenzy. I know you were sick, which is sort of a separate event, a non-COVID illness, as we were saying off air. But uh, that, that 5.50, uh, 5.45 a.m. start there for, for me and Jake, it feels like everything's been kind of different since then. So I'm, I'm happy to be back on schedule and just talking about the seas. Um, how you doing, man? Are you, are you feeling better? I'm oh, feeling great. Ready to go. It's a great day. Uh, we got a saying uh, at Mountaineers, it's a great day to be a Mountaineer. And Joe Missoula, the pride of West Virginia University, yes. becoming the head coach. So. It's been a fun day. A lot of people who do not care about Celtics basketball that I work with or know asking me about the Celtics and Joe and coaching the All-Star game. So it's been fun. Yeah, well, look, let's just start with that. Joe Mazzola, sure. he has been promoted to head coach. He's the Celtics' 19th head coach, which felt like a low number to me. I don't know about you, Spoon, but just given like they've been around- years? I know, since the 40s, like yeah. since the Second World War, 19th head coach. Um, in a statement, so this is a tweet from Tim Bontemps, a statement, the Celtics president of basketball operations, Brad Stevens, said uh, he has, speaking of Joe, obviously, a unique ability to galvanize a room around a mission. We are thankful for the work he's done to help us get to this point and excited that he's agreed to lead us in the future. Um, of course he's agreed. Like it's the, the job is being the head coach of the Boston Celtics. Right. So I'm glad yeah. that he agreed. Um, I don't Shocking. Know, like, to us, he's been the head coach. Like the interim title is not something that we've mentioned as a prefix to Joe Mazzulla at all, really, this season beyond, you know, those first couple of weeks since that um, rough September with the Ime Udoka situation there. You know, I, I guess, you, you know, you are an, you, you share an alma mater with, with Joe Mazzulla there. Um, how do you feel, Spooty? I don't even know what the leading question is for this. Like, just, yeah, no. just things as I they should be. I, it's actually kind of difficult to describe how much people care about this here. Uh, and I live in Morgantown, where WVU is, and uh, people have been tracking Joe's career his whole time. I mean, I remember when he got hired as an assistant after he was a head coach at Fairmont State, just down the road from me. Uh, and people are like, hey, man, you're from Boston, right? Which, no, I'm from Western Massachusetts, but close enough. Uh, <laughs> I heard uh, our guy Joe Mazzula is going to be an assistant coach. And like he was, <laughs> you know, the ping pong guy at the time. But like people right. truly care about the alumni being successful, especially in sports, because there's this like um, people are really there's like an underdog feeling about WVU sports and how they don't get enough respect. And like, I don't know if you remember Beeline uh, for the Cleveland Cavaliers. He's the one who used the slugs phrase for the Cavs a couple years ago. And oh, got yeah. fired. Yes. He was a WVU coach and he had kind of like stained the name for a while. So people around here are very, very proud of Joe Missoula. And I am too, man. Look, if you just want to talk, production on the court 
the last 11 games, right? When Smart went out, we've played 11 games, obviously came back for the Pistons. We're seven and four. Jalen Brown didn't play six of those games. Rob's missed three of them. Tatum missed one. Brogdon missed two. And I don't really think the team plays any differently other than if Tatum is out. But other mm-hmm. than that, I mean, even you saw in that Bucks game, they're flying around, they're setting screens, like the off-ball movement looks great. And they've been playing that way short of that stretch in December where it got a little bit ugly. And that's coaching. That goes down to coaching. Joe's drilled into these guys the way to play basketball, the way to play Celtics basketball. And we're seeing it. We're the only team in the league who's top five in offensive and defensive ratings. So he took over, what, a week before preseason after yeah. insane drama. And we were all, we were scared. I mean, we were, there was legitimate worry about like this guy whose only head coaching stint was with Division II Fairmont State taking over the Boston Celtics <laughs> after they just went to the finals. And here we are sitting with the best record in the NBA, top five in offense and defense. And it seems like Brogdon just had that beautiful quote, like, this is the best locker room I've ever been in by far. And that is like the most important thing to me at this point in the season, because the talent's going to get Joe pretty far. This Mm -hmm. team is loaded. But the fact that the culture is so great with him taking over, despite Ime being a very well-liked coach, I just think this speaks to how good of a job he's done. Yeah, it's a really nice story. And please go and win the championship, fellas, because what a chapter on the championship DVD, how Coach Mazzulla came to be in his role, his prior tenure or his pre-existing tenure with the Celtics and and being the paddle guy, like you said, trying to teach Romeo Langford how to shoot using the paddle method. I've tried it. I still can't shoot. Um, You know, suffice to say, he's been with the team for a while and for him to step in at that moment in time in rough waters and, and steer the ship in the direction that it's gone throughout this season uh, is really incredible. So going with the championship, fellas, because I want to see that like Missoula story arc chapter within the, the championship DVD. That's all I need to do. Just go out and win it. Um, moving on, Marcus Smart, he returned. Joe Missoula said he brought some joy back to the game and he said we needed his joy. It was his quote in the, the post-game press it there. Smart also became the sixth player in Celtics history to reg- register a six. Six, six, and six stat line at his return. Just two turnovers, by the way. What were your thoughts on Marcus Smart's return and, and like why they brought him back for one game before the All-Star break? I, you know, I've been actually kind of racking my brain about that because I'm writing something about Tatum's playmaking with Smart out and I was like, oh, I'm good. I've got like until, the, <laughs> until <Yeah>. after the <laughs> All-Star break to write this because Smart's not coming back. And then obviously he comes back for one game and screws up all the stats I've been pulling and things like that. But, you know, my <laughs> my trials and tribulations aside, uh, I thought I, I don't know, maybe just because you you don't want him to not play for almost a month. I mean, he I think he went out um, like the 21st or 2nd of January. So we were pushing a month without him playing and then you tack on the all star break. That's basically another two weeks. So. Uh, you just give him one one game to kind of get back into game shape, see where he is with his conditioning, um, and then that kind of maybe know you know what he needs to focus on during the All Star break to get back to full game speed. I don't know, Ben. What do you do? You know why they brought him back for it? It just seems and it's Detroit. Like why? Yeah, it's so bizarre. Clutching at straws. I thought maybe you know just the importance of maintaining that hold on the one seed you know who knows what's going to happen between the bucks and the bulls today go bulls but uh you know regardless now we'll have that at least that 0.5 game lead on the bucks and 
Yeah, like you probably don't need Marcus Smart to ensure that win against the Pistons, but there was some serious fatigue in play for like Derek White, for example. We saw him just on yeah. the bench. Chris Forsberg was pointing it out on his Twitter page. Game. Yeah, just completely beat up. And just to have the the padding, the support, the um, you know, the the structure of Marcus Smart there to to help um you know, carry those guys to the finish line with relatively fresh legs, although, you know, he is coming back from a sprained ankle. I think that was maybe important just to take some of the attention away from those guys. And then he comes back and, you know, he's playmaking the hell out of the ball, out of the game. His, like, the first thing that stood out to me was his pocket passing. Like, we know that Tatum is an effective screener. We know that Horford is effective in screener roll and and screener pop. But Marcus Smart's ability to thread the ball to the roller as they begin rolling, especially in that short roll situation where there's not actually a lot of maneuverability, it's just like, it's completely, it's a standout skill set that, you know, even though we've been celebrating Derek White and, and others in Smart's absence, like no one possesses that ability as much as Marcus Smart does. And like possession one is just like pocket pass, pocket pass. It was amazing. I'm so glad that he's back and rest up, young Prince, because like we're <laughs> going to need you in this final stretch once we return from the All-Star break. And, and no one... We are very bad at throwing post-entry passes as well, but Smart was like dumping them off into Tatum and Horford all game. And, you know, they wouldn't always score and to Blake a few times too. Blake had a couple ugly to embarrassing post-ups. Yes. <laughs> but uh, nobody, like we really have a lot of trouble allowing Horford and Tatum to get into those post-mismatches and abuse them because we just can't get the ball into them. And Smart's really good at that. And the biggest thing I noticed was Derek White is really good at pushing the pace off a defensive rebound, but there isn't anybody better than Marcus Smart. Like so many hit ahead passes where it's like, we don't ha- even have numbers. It doesn't matter. Just hit it ahead, get them, get the defense kind of thinking, get the ball forward, see what happens, get them scrambling a little bit, get them, you know, mixing up their matchups in semi transition. And Smart's like, every time he got the ball, you know, Al would secure. Um, Blake would secure the defensive rebound, hand it to Smart, boom, he's just pitching it up forward. And then, you know, lots of times he would just get it right back and we'd set up the offense. But there were so many times as well where it's like, okay, well, now we've got Tatum with a mismatch just because Smart very quickly moved the ball up court. And he's just so consistently good at that. And it's a mindset thing. And there's just not a lot of guys in the league who have Smart's mindset. And yeah, it goes back to like, Missoula saying the joy of playing basketball. It's like, let's go. Come on. Let's get into the offense. Let's go. And yeah. um, that's just the beauty of Marcus Smart. I did think he looked a little rusty, mm-hmm. uh, but for the most part, he looked great. In what aspect? Because, yeah, I mean, there were certain areas. For, I think he just seemed timid to me. And he, he talked exactly. about it in his post game, like he was sort of unwilling to do what he would normally do because of um, some hesitancy about the health of his ankle. But you talked about it that, like, down the field, playmaking yeah. off steals that's just like where did this come from like we haven't yeah. had that he missed 11 games and we missed that so much for him to just completely dial that up to 11 like within seconds of stepping back on the floor yeah. is just like the quintessential marcus smart experience but where else did you see rust from him because i was looking at it through rose-colored glasses to be honest uh, I, I thought he looked a little unsure uh times where maybe he would have gotten to the rim um, or with the handle when he was trying to break somebody down and he just didn't do, you know, those like bulldog drives he has sometimes mm-hmm. when he finishes with the left. I can't really remember any of those. Uh, I think he had one nice layoff pass. I'm not even sure it turned into points, but so j- just kind of in that, which is 
you know, going to happen. A guy who's missed 10 games. Uh, so I'm I, nothing I'm worried about by any means, but you know, he averages double digit points. He only had, I think six or seven, um, maybe seven points and, uh, you know, one or two or three or six of them were on threes. I can't remember exactly how many. So, um, yeah, just, just a little timid. That's all. But I, I think it's, you know, to be expected from him, but overall, I mean, nine out of 10 performance with the six, 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 this is just yeah. an absurd stat line. So good. And dude, when he picked that pass on the, uh, two on one fast break and he picked it with his left hand and went the other way. I mean, yeah. that was just like, that is the most quintessential Marcus smart play yes. of all time. Very happy to have this man back. Uh, Razin yeah. Khan, shout out to everyone in the chat, by the way. YouTube's telling me that there's one person here, but there's multiple people commenting, so I'm, I'm going to think that that's uh, inaccurate. Wrong. Razin in the in the chat says, Marcus Smart, injury, though, uh, was a blessing in disguise because we saw what Derek White was capable of. Do you, do you view it that way, Spoonie? Yeah, you know, I think it's kind of a... There's two positives. One, it gives Smart some rest. I mean, he plays 100% basically every game. So you want him to make sure he's healthy going into the playoffs. So I truly think that injury was not nearly as bad as, you know, holding him out for a month. Uh, So I think part of it was just natural rest. And yeah, look, Derek White balled out. He was the Eastern Conference player of the week. Are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. Like I I highly doubt he's ever had a conference player of the week in his entire career. So look, the more guys you can get confident in playing their best basketball, especially as you head into the stretch run here, because we always say all-star games the halfway point. It's really not. I mean, we're 50 plus games in. Like we're we're about to hit the stretch run leading into the playoffs. So if Derek White's playing his best ball at this point. Yeah, it's definitely a blessing in disguise, and he is—he's playing the best basketball of his career. He's Absolutely. playing better basketball than I think he even thought he was capable of. Man, like he looks so confident. He had that pull up last night where they went uh, drop on the pick and roll, and he just pulled up like he was Dame Lillard and splashed it. Like, yeah. who is this man? <laughs> like, what a trade, dude! Speaking of playing the best basketball of one's career, we've got to talk about Mike Muscala. He's now yes. been with the team approximately one week. Uh, <laughs> I want to hear your thoughts on, on Mike Muscala, Spoonie. Yeah, so, so four games, minus one, I suppose. Uh, he was inactive against the Pistons yesterday. 23 minutes per game, 14 points per game on 5 of 10 shooting, 43.3% from three, and a, a plus one single game, plus minus, if you want to take anything from that. Um, what are your thoughts on, on Mike the Moose Muscala in his short tenure with the Celtics so far? He is... So I, I always, my perception of Muscala was always like, he's a big that can stretch the floor, but he's not like one of these gunner types like Markinen, who is like, if he's open, it's going up immediately the second it touches his hands. I, I was wrong. Like this dude is like six foot 10 Sam Hauser. Like <laughs> he touches the ball. If he's got an inch of space, he's launching that baby. And like his jumper looks pure as hell man like his jumper looks really really good and he's just an incredibly smart basketball player like he's had a couple where he just kind of cuts into the soft spot of the defense and he like has hit like a couple of these like little weird one-handed floaters where somebody draws help and he's just kind of there and like lobs it in um so that's just a high level that's a guy who understands basketball at a very high level. And it's the exact type of guy Stevens has been bringing into this team. Like Derek White's the same type of player where they just know how to play the game so they can step in 
midseason. They don't need training camp. They just know they can go out there and like if Tatum draws two, I'm going to find a soft spot. Uh, it's either going to be, you know, a corner shot above the break or I can slip in and get one of my goofy little floaters. And then defensively, I don't I don't have a great read on him yet defensively. He just hasn't played enough for me, but I feel like he's been okay, Ben. I don't know. Do you agree? He got burned a few like, times in the Bucks game. I mean, most people are going to get sure, burned against Giannis. Sure. So it, it's, a small, okay. it's a small sample size. I don't know if we can put him in the like, sort of Grant Williams category of oh, like, God, no. wall off the paint. You know, you can hold your own for a few uh, um, sequential possessions before we have to sub you out because you're getting torched. Um, uh, yeah, he's not quite in that category, but uh, I think where he made up for it, it particularly in the Bucks game, I spoke about this on the, the post-game uh, a very unfortunate solo podcast that I did was that, that was um, great, dude. Play, Come on, playing five out, uh, which Muscala absolutely allows us to do, completely took Brook Lopez out of his defensive game. And if we're going to see these guys in the playoffs, that could be a situation where Muscala actually sees useful playoff minutes. And we've got Blake uh-huh. Griffin, who is out of nowhere, like shooting threes better than he ever dunked in the first half of his career. Like he's just <laughs> insane. A marksman from beyond the arc, you know, these guys being able to stretch the floor and take the opposing center out of the paint is really effective. So to have another guy who can do that, who has the same directive as Sam Hauser, which is clearly, and I think that was reiterated to Hauser more recently as well, because he's more confidently jacking up shots on the catch. Oh, yeah. It's just like, if you're open, shoot it. Like you, the spacing that you give our key guys is, is su- such an important element of our offense that in order for that to be a continued recognizable threat, you need to keep jacking up those open threes once they're awarded to you, once you have those opportunities. So he's doing that, um, and he's doing it at a 43% clip, like we said. So uh, great addition. Thank you, Brad Stevens. Um, <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see how it sort of plays out in the playoffs and and what situations, like I mentioned, uh, we can use him in. But uh, very, very useful uh, addition to the bench, especially when you compare him to one Justin Jackson. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's Quite a big upgrade on Justin yeah. Jackson. And one nice thing about Muscala, too, is it'll allow us to get Al some more rest because mm-hmm. we, Cornette is just a different center than both Rob and Al. Muscala fits in, at least offensively, right in that Al slot where, like you said, we can play five out with him. We can play in the exact same way. And he's, you know, he's smart with the basketball. He knows when to pass, he knows when to dribble handoff. So, um, he fits into that Al role perfectly. Will let us get Al some rest. He's obviously not the defensive player Al is. Few players are, but uh, I think that's a big part of it too. That uh, Al will be fresh heading into the playoffs now with the Muscala addition. Yeah, is it fair to say that with Rob and Luke, like we have Rob and then Rob Light, or like skim milk Rob in Luke Cornett, and then in Al we've got Al Horford, and then. Al Light in Mike Muscala as well. Like they are similar. 1% Al. Yeah, 1% Al. Like they're similar archetypes in what we ask them to do. Like we ask Luke Cornette to defend the rim and essentially play backup minutes for Rob. Looks like we're doing the same for for Mike Muscala there. So we have these like D-grade equivalents of Al and Rob that we can roll off the bench in in certain situations. Is that a fair analogy or am am I losing my mind? Yeah, I, I think you're. I think you're spot on. Um, okay. It's it's funny because comparing Rob Williams to Luke Cornett is you know kind of hilarious in and of itself. But like you're right, defend the rim and roll really hard to the basket. And Luke, for his goofiness, is an okay vertical spacing threat. I mean, he's got his little behind the head alley oops that he throws down, and he had that nice last night. Um, 
might have been smart actually that hit him uh yeah he like slipped a screen and he hit him on the run and he kind of like grabbed it one-handed and laid it laid it in all in one motion um so yeah a- absolutely and then moose i think like i said fits in perfectly to the owl role so yeah brad stevens it seems like that he might know what he's doing Ben. i, I don't think know. so yeah that seems <laughs> to be the case <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh before we move on to our mid-season awards uh this is the misc section of our of our weekly takeaways section spoony so have you got any other takeaways from the past week we talked about it being a weird week jake and i got up at 5 45 a.m to do the trade deadline stream we haven't felt right since then so have you got any takeaways that you've managed to to take on in your in your week of illness um i it kind of feels like the offense has really started to click again and maybe that's just because we're making shots but it feels like the drive and kick game is really really back and not it just felt like we got stagnant there end of December, beginning of January. And really in the last couple games, especially, it just feels like these guys know exactly what they're supposed to be doing on the offensive end. And then the defense is really, when Rob came back, the defense got supercharged, but it's been pretty good to great over the last couple weeks. Uh, the Pistons game kind of a little bit uh, wasn't. There were moments where it looked pretty bad, like that third quarter when we gave mm-hmm. up 38 and they were just going to the rim at will. But for the most part, I think we're heading into the break as the best team in basketball, and I think we've been playing that way for a while now. Yeah, I feel the same way. And that that Bucks game was a really solid proof of concept for the offensive scheme without any stars using their gravity to sort of pull it in any direction. It was just the pure scheme. And yeah. we saw it work really well. And with guys like Jason Tatum, who had some comments to that effect after the game and and Marcus and Jalen Brown all sitting at home watching. What a great demonstration of like, yeah, Joe might know what he's doing. The system works. Play within it, guys, because like it clearly works. And like imagine what you can do if you completely like dial into the system. We saw it earlier in the season. Now we're starting to see a lot of that, like you said, with the offense improving, trending back in the right direction. And Sammy yeah. Buckets is, is hitting his shots again. Mike Muscala is in shooting lights out from three. Blake Griffin is... Just uh, on another level from beyond the arc as well. So He's over 40% for the season now. <laughs> That's so ridiculous. <laughs> Absolutely. And we are going to get to Blake Griffin, I suspect, um, in this next segment here. Before we get to that, though, buyout candidates, I'm just going to throw a couple of names at you. Stanley Johnson, who is the, the most coveted man for me, uh, just in that yeah. I think that he might be the most accepting of a minimal role. We, we've seen guys who had the opportunity to sign with the Celtics who have chosen to sign elsewhere because they've been promised more minutes, understandably. Um, Even though we can offer them more money with that DPE, Stanley Johnson, I don't know the guy, but I feel like he might be more accepting of that very limited role. What are your thoughts on on Stanley Johnson? Yeah, Stanley's probably my number one target. We need a wing. We need a big-ish wing, and Stanley's a big-ish wing. He's not very good at basketball, but he Mm -hmm. is technically a big-ish wing. And I've heard he's actually been playing kind of okay this year Mm -hmm. um so i think he's probably my number one target at this point and he's on his way out of the league or or, you know he is like scraping the bottom this is probably one of his last chances so um i agree with you like if he can fit in and play eight minutes a night and just kind of fit into a role with this team that'll go a long way to teams taking a chance on him because he has been He's had a strange career. He's a super high. I think he's the seventh pick for the Pistons uh-huh. a long time ago. And people were saying, oh, he's like the next great wing. And he very much is not the next <laughs> great nope. wing. 
<laughs> he's very Josh Jacksony in that way, <laughs> and Justin Jacksony in that way. Uh, the Jackson Jackson Johnson disappointment trio. Um, so, uh, but I, I do think Stanley's got some skills. Like he's strong. He's not very quick laterally, defensively, so he can get exploited. But you know, he he's got. He will make you feel him on the defensive end, and he's shooting forty percent from three on like a very tiny amount of uh, attempts. But you know, if he can make a three every other game and play okay defense in eight minutes, I think that'd be that's exactly what we need out of the buyout guy. Yeah, I've got nothing to add to that. You, you pretty much nailed it there, and he would be a much better candidate than this next name that I'm going to throw out at you, Spoonie. Carmelo Anthony, would we dare mess with the insane chemistry, even down to the fact that like Blake is this sort of pre-All-Star or past All-Star vet who's sort of rejigged himself to be the ultimate locker room guy and in sort of chemistry connected for this team. Would we dare mess with that by throwing Carmelo Anthony, who might have other expectations about how he's recognized in the locker room and potentially on the court? We better not. Yeah, right? I think this would be a horrible <laughs> idea. There's like no upside to Mello. Agreed. Like, <laughs> I mean, he's not good enough offensively anymore where you want to deal with him being like maybe one of the worst defensive fours in the league. He's probably at this point in his career, one of the worst defensive fours ever. Um, and, you know, when he's out there, he's going to want to get his shots like he just can't help himself. So I would absolutely hate a Carmelo pickup and like everyone is lauding Blake and in the same way they did with um Vince Carter <laughs> for being an ex star that's willing to play a very small role. The reason it's such a big deal is because it so very rarely happens. So why do we think Melo, who by all accounts is one of the most selfish superstars of all time, is all of a sudden in like his nineteenth season gonna be like, you know what? I'm cool playing once every two weeks for six minutes and yeah. I'm not going to be mad that I don't get to shoot whenever I want. Like, no, thank you. I'm going to say a sentence that is completely factually correct. Sam <laughs> Hauser is a better basketball player than Carmelo Anthony at this moment in time. So yeah. why would we bring on Melo, who's just going to be butthurt by that fact alone, let alone right. the lack of playing time? I, I, I guess I can see the avenue for Melo is like, I could really, I could seriously win a championship and solidify, you know, my Hall of Fame career, um, which is a conversation for another day. That could be like, can, can he swallow his pride and sit on the bench and, and come out and give us garbage time minutes and some veteran leadership based on that, you know, potential? Probably not. I don't see it. Probably um, not. <laughs> another name. Definitely not. Let's definitely be honest. <laughs> It has been mentioned around the sort of the Twitter sphere and on other podcasts um, through some people who have more credibility than us. So I thought yes. that that sort of gave it um, a worthwhile uh, potential mention here. So another name that's been brought up a lot is Kevin Love. He was just bought out by the Cavs, I think surprisingly so. I thought, you know, Agreed. similar to how I just mentioned with, with Melo, like he, he wants to hitch his wagon to a potential championship team. And I don't think... The Cavs are many people's championship favorites, but they're at least in the mix, similar to how the Celtics were last year. We were just in the mix. I don't think anyone picked us, especially before our you know meteoric rise, no one necessarily picked us to be winners at the beginning of the season. Now we had a great turnaround and a great playoff run, and there we were. The Cavs have that potential, I think, at least. So for them to buy Kevin Love out is interesting. Do you think he could be of use to this Celtics team, Spoonie? I mean, isn't... Why would a team that's in the mix and, you know, what are they, the five seed right now, buying out a guy? 
that feels like a pretty bad sign yeah. for how much that guy could give to a yes. contender. But <laughs> here's the thing I'll say about Caleb. Had we not gotten Muscala, I would be interested in Kevin Love as sort of that replacement for Al, um, just to scoop up some regular season minutes um, and, you know, make some threes while he's out there and hopefully not get completely destroyed on the defensive end, which he would. Muscala is a better defensive player than Love, and I'm pretty sure Love's shot has kind of abandoned him this season, mm-hmm. and we know Muscala's has not. Um, so I, I just see with the Muscala edition, to me, Kevin Love makes absolutely zero negative, less sense than Carmelo Anthony, because at least Carmelo Anthony plays a position where we kind of need a body. Kevin Love would what be like the sixth best big man? Is he better than Cornette? I kind of don't think so. <laughs> yeah. He wouldn't even dress. They wouldn't even put right, him in yeah. uniform. There's no use for him. And Mascala is just, a, like you said, a better version than, than Caleb at this point. All right. Well said, Spoonie. Let's move on. It's time for the first of the floor mid-season awards. All right. Sorry about that intro. I'm very excited for this particular segment. Like we said, it, it's not the middle of the season, but I think psychologically it's recognized as sort yeah. of the, the mid section of the season because of the break. So we've got some award categories to to lay out here. I'm going to throw them out to you, Spoonie, and it could potentially be a two-pronged award in that we might have differing takes on these, and we're just going to award the award to both recipients. So <laughs> we'll start with the game of the season so far, or your favorite game of the season so far. What have you got, Spoons? I'm going to go with the Raptors game. <laughs> I think in December. That's what I had. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> Dude, are you kidding me? That's I'm not so kidding weird. You. That's amazing. And I think Scal said best win of the season when we were up like 12 with two minutes left and the Raptors immediately cut it to six. But uh, we were down a bunch of people. I believe we were on the third game in four nights, a back-to-back. I think we played in Miami and then flew up to Toronto. I'm pretty sure Blake started that game. Um and yeah, Ben, if you're not watching on YouTube, you should at least come check out the YouTube just to see Ben's beautiful graphic work on the mid-season awards <laughs> intro. Uh, so that that was the game for me where I was like, wow, this team is for real. Unfortunately, I believe they went out west and lost uh, four straight after the Suns' domination. But I, I'll give that Raptors game where it's like, this team's a little different, man. They got some grit. They, you know, they know how to win games even when they're not at their best. Yeah. Hustle, grit, tenacity was sort of my main bullet yeah. points from that one. Yeah. Just beating the Raptors. I know that they're not the Raptors that they were a few years ago, Hate but them. we still despise them. Uh, a great team win. Second night of a back-to-back, we'd, we'd played and beat Brooklyn the night before. And just that second half turnaround. And let me see if I can find it here. Oh, yeah. This insane highlight play from that particular game. Yeah, that's right. Blake Griffin dunks. We love them. We've had a couple of near close Blake Griffin dunks uh, in recent games. Um, so it was good to revisit that memory. Moving on. Award number two, after the the early season Raptors game, won the favorite game of the year award. This is the Marquis Staniels Award for most underrated. Who you got, Spirits? Al Horford. 
I had El Hofa too. Are you <laughs> yes. kidding me? I swear we did not we did not prepare this at all. I I actually wrote in the name of the awards. I filled this out like two hours ago. So Ben didn't even know what we were talking about yeah. until two hours ago. Um, I think Al's got a combination of being a borderline elite defensive center uh, that can play the four as well defensively, and he's a borderline elite three point shooter. There's just not that many guys in the league who have that combination of skill sets. I mean, it's like Embiid and I I mean, I'm not sure there's any. uh, I mean, there's just a very, very, very small number of those types of guys. And uh, so, uh, yeah, for me, it's got to be Al, even though his counting numbers are down, like he's got a massive impact on this team. He's, I think, top, I think he might be third or fourth and plus minus for the season total. So. Um, Al just doesn't get a lot of love, but he just goes out there and does his job and he does it at a borderline elite level, which I've now said three times. So that's how you know I, I love Al Horford because he's borderline elite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll just add that he's borderline elite. And uh, but no, but seriously, his true shooting percentage is it's above 60% this season. He's shooting 42% from three. He's always a net positive, like Horford lineups per cleaning the glass, just overall 89th percentile in point differential, 83rd percentile in turnover percentage. We see it almost every year, like he just quietly goes about his business, quietly impacting in the shadows. His view on the regular season, very unlike Tristan Thompson, is that it's a readiness platform for the postseason. It's not that it doesn't matter in comparison to the postseason, it's just that you use that time to ready yourself for postseason competitiveness. So, um, a lot of love, Al Horford. Spoonie, we're, we're two for two in, in uh, great, great minds think alike on the awards front. The next award, the Marcus Smart Award for Best Defensive Player. This I don't want to go one. first. Okay. I don't want to go first. Okay. You go first. All right. Let me, let me find my little graph here. So, and you can help me decide because this is a tough one. I, I agree. Don't, I don't fully know. And I've just realized that this is like too small for me to read. So... <laughs> This is Basketball Index's defensive impact metrics. And so I've limited it to Derek White, Marcus Smart, and Rob Williams. I think they're like the three finalists oh, no. in this particular award. But Derek White, this is like a percentile ranking. So on on-ball defense, he's the, I think, geez, I can't read this, the 94th percentile in the league on on-ball defense, um, 84th percentile in ball screen navigation, I wish I could read this. 86th percentile off-ball uh, chaser on defense. And he's got a, uh, in terms of his uh, statistical ranking percentage-wise, defense of LeBron, 90.6%. So those are, those are some crazy, crazy defensive stats for, for Derek White. And I was doing some research on the best single-player evaluation metrics. Um, and all signs pointed to the B-ball index, uh, defensive LeBron stats and the offshoot stats from that as far as evaluating individual player defensive metrics. Marcus Smart, peak pocket rating, the 92nd percentile, steals per 75 possessions, the 86th percentile, I think. This is very blurry. Uh, and he's the 80th uh, percentile in um, defensive LeBron as well. So out of those two, I don't know. I feel like I've, I've got to go with Marcus Smart. Uh, is that Oh, good. Is that wrong? Like, I know... I, no, I know there's because some... I'm going white. I'm going Derek White. So okay. that's I, I picked Derek White. So I'm glad you're going somebody different. So I think Smart is absolutely more versatile. Um, like if you have Smart switched onto a big or a big wing, like I'm not worried at all. Derek White, we got to scramble him out of there just because he can't handle. And Smart is like 
maybe the most underrated box out guy in the league. He had a couple box outs last night on Stewart and Duran that like he just erased them from mm-hmm. the offensive glass and he didn't get the rebound, but you know, the Celtics did, which I think is super important. But the only reason I went Derek White above Smart is one, he's got the most blocks on the team and he's like a six foot three point guard. Uh and He's incredible chasing shooters around and incredible on ball, even though he does it in a little different way uh, from Marcus. He's not quite as aggressive. He's not as physical, but he's just uh, foundationally very sound. And uh, he just can slip around screens. He's impossible to screen uh, and he's switchable. I mean, he's just not as switchable as as smart, who's an absolute psychopath um, as a switchable point guard. So. I went with Derek White just because, and also smart, you know, he's missed 10 games and I'm a recency bias sucker, you know? So. Yeah, no, so am I. But I mean, I just yeah. Rob Williams very quickly, let me make the case for him. Post defense is in the top 80th percentile. Rim points saved per 75 is in the top 96th percentile. Blocks per 75 in the top 90th percentile. And his defensive positional versatility is in the top 93rd percentile. I think I might have to go with Rob Williams. And then you look at how, I think the defense prior to his return, so in that stretch early in the season where uh, we were waiting for Rob to return, uh, we had the eighth best defense in the end there, and we're the, I think, the third or fourth best defense. Yeah. We've got the third best defensive rating in the league uh, since he's returned. So clearly there's a, a pretty notable defensive impact there, and I think just culturally the trickle-down effect that Rob has had since he's returned to the lineup I think I've got to give this award to Rob Williams. So it's a dual okay. award, giving it to Rob Williams and Derek White. Seems crazy, seeing as Marcus Smart is the reigning defensive player of the year. Let us know in the comments your thoughts on that. I feel like there might be some, so that might be a divisive take. But um, clearly, I've got the blurry stats to, to prove our case there. <laughs> yes, clearly, <laughs> you all see. <laughs> uh, moving on, the Ray Allen Award for the third best player on the team, Spoonie. Uh, this one is an impossible question to answer. I don't know how to answer it. But again, going a little recency bias here. I'm going, he's very versatile on both ends. He's had to do a bunch of different stuff throughout the season, especially offensively. And especially recently, he's basically been asked to be our second best player. So I'm going with Derek White. Ah, uh, okay. Thought you might say that. Yeah. We're eight points per 100 better when Derek White's on the floor. He leads the team in 538's Raptor metric. He's second on the team in B-ball index is LeBron and ESPN's estimated plus minus. His impact is absolutely ridiculous. And he's shown recently when he has to take a bigger offensive role, he's up for it, man. I mean, he's dropping 20 and 10s like it's going out of style these mm-hmm. last couple weeks here. So, um, I do not think Derek White is the third best player on the team, but I think Derek White's been the third best player on the team. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Yeah, I have a different take. And this is for everyone listening. You're going to hear that this is where my time to research these awards ran out. I'm just going to say that it's (laughs) unquestionably Marcus Smart. I know we're all in love with the mistress, with Derek White right now, and he's been awesome. Don't get me wrong. Um, but we saw the offensive dip when Marcus Smart went out. I don't think that was a, a coincidence. And yes, Derek White did slowly build it back up. But, you know, um, Smart came back and albeit against the the worst in the East Pistons, 
the offensive and defense, uh, they're both humming when he returned yesterday. It's Marcus Smart. Like, we don't need to overthink it. It just it is Marcus Smart. It's a big three. He's the, the third head on the snake there. Um, clearly, he's like, we talked about it before, he's the maestro that conducts the orchestra. And Derek White might have been promoted to first violin or first trumpet or whatever you want to say, but Marcus Smart is, is the maestro. He's the dude in whiplash, like absolutely getting the best out of his students. I don't know if that's a good analogy or not, but that's, that's what I was thinking with. All right. So another two-pronged award there, very deservedly going to, to Derek White and Marcus Smart. Moving on, second final award here, second last award, the Evan Turner Award for Best Comedic Performance slash Locker Room Presence. Spoonie, who you I, got? I think this is a, well, this is a two-man race. Okay. I went with a man of many names, a man who laughs at himself when he dunks. Actually, this could describe both of these guys. Yeah, I was like, who is this? I'm going with the Cornish game hen. Wow. Stromile Swift's what, brother. It, I'm going it go? with Luke Cornette. <laughs> yeah. I went with Blake Griffin. All right, fair. <laughs> and I think that both are very valid. So, you know, we're going to give the award to, to both of, of these candidates. But Blake Griffin <laughs> has been highlighted for his locker room impact um, and sort of his like cultural nourishment of the players on the team with what he brings and, and what he's had to sacrifice as far as production and, and touches and shots and, and things like that. I think they're probably on pace with each other humor-wise. Maybe Blake, like Blake's taken it to the stage, so you have to give him yes. some some big ups there. But then, yeah, just his effect on the locker room. And I think he actually props up guys like Luke Cornett to be the best version of themselves based on what he's bringing to the table. So, But we'll happily give out the award to, to both of them. I agree. But when we think back on this season... <laughs> What some of the most memorable moments are Luke Cornett being absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely. So for that reason, I gotta give it to him. Yeah, I only dream of Blake Griffin dunks, so I don't know what you mean. But uh, I mean, <laughs> him him comparing himself to Strobel Swift in the post game presser is like an all time Celtics off the court moment. In Dead my opinion, Pan is all get out too. It's beautiful. <laughs> Basically the same player. Yeah. <laughs> so sure of himself. So yeah. this is the last award, the First of the Floor Award for First of the Floor, presented by First of the Floor. Thanks to Wade Spoonie for titling these awards. Great job. Um, I'll go first. It's Blake Griffin. And I had yep. intended to download the clip of him being literally the first player to the floor in the game last night. Um, that will be added to the podcast's intro if you're a watcher on YouTube, so stand by for that. Um, do you agree, Spoonie? That is who I had, dude. It's got to be Blake. We we touched on it earlier, the fact that he is a multi-time All-NBA player who mm-hmm. went number one in the draft and has led competitive teams to deep playoff runs as their number one scorer. And then he's diving into the stands in a 16-point game against the Detroit Pistons about to go into the All-Star break. It's, it's like, honestly, kind of like, I, I don't know, I, I, I what am I trying to say here? It's... It's like impressive. I don't know. Like it, it is. makes me feel like proud. Go out there, Blake. <laughs> I want to be the best version of myself, like yeah. Blake Griffin is doing right now, because he's like knows he doesn't have it anymore. And it's like every game, dude. He hits the floor. He's taking charges. He had that hilarious back down where he missed it like twice, and then finally got it back and scored. And I was just so it pumped for him. Um, so I, I think this one is very easily. Blake Griffin with a slight nod to Marcus Smart, who is always ready to dive on the floor whenever. Yeah, I saw some like 
Brooklyn Nets promotional material before our first round series against them last year. And there was an interview with Blake Griffin and Patty Mills, and they described themselves as like the hard hat boys or something. And they'd sort of gotten together prior to that season and decided that the way that they could impact that team that was so top heavy with talent was to go out there and do the little things, take charges, dive for loose balls, deflections, things like that. And Blake Griffin has brought that to a fan base that thrives on that kind of material on the court. And he talked about it in his post-game presser yesterday, that the fan base, like he did that as an energy thing for the fans where, you know, at that point the Pistons were trying to get back in the game a little bit and Blake Griffin was completely cognizant of that and threw himself on the floor, burst to the floor, dove for the ball and everyone loved it. And from that point onwards, it was over. the Celtics game. Like, yeah, yeah, so hugely impactful. I hope that he, I want to be careful with my words here. I hope that he has that impact in the playoffs, but I also hope that we don't need to play him that much in the playoffs as well. (laughs) All right, so those are our awards. Thanks for Wayne Spoony for uh, for curating the the awards there. It's um, it's a treasured tradition here on the First of the Floor show. Very Um, prestigious. Absolutely. (laughs) So uh, congratulations as well to all the award winners. Um, They'll be in the mail. Just uh, Marcus Smart, Blake Griffin, all the winners. If you can just send us your home address, uh, we'll be happy to post them to you. Um, we will we will personally arrive with them. Absolutely. <laughs> Moving on, we've got some trivia here, some Celtics-related all-star trivia just to wrap up this show. I've got a couple of questions for you, three in total. Question number one, and I don't have any fancy graphics to, to back this up, but we do have some videos to get to. Question one, D. Brown had probably the most memorable Celtic appearance in the slam dunk contest. Name the three other Celtics to have ever participated. Okay, I know Gerald Green, because he blew out the cupcake. So I saw these before. I did not look them up. So I, I don't think I know the other two. Is I've got um, a clue. Ricky Davis one? Yes, that was what, yeah. You okay. made a video on Ricky Davis earlier in yeah. the year. Yeah. Um, the the lat, is it old or newish? Like 90s. My clue is like, if I... Oh, Griffin was, Powell's got it. Harold Miner? It's uh, not Harold Miner. It's Greg Miner. My clue was yeah. going to be if you were a baseball player and you got knocked down from the majors, you'd be playing in the, I don't know if that was going to be a valid clue or not. <laughs> uh, I do have a, a small clip here from Ricky Davis's attempt at the dunk contest. And it's decided to come through with no audio, it seems. So Spoonie, we're going to have to commentate oh, on this. Boy. We see a missed dunk opportunity and LeBron's appropriate reaction. Like this dude has to be... <laughs> Absolutely kidding himself. He goes back in immediately for attempt number two, and, and it's gone. Back and that, rim. That pretty much tells the story of Ricky Davis's um, slam dunk. Entire tenure as a Celtic. Yeah, 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 that's fair. All right, question number two. Who was the last Boston Celtic to win the All-Star MVP award? It's got to be Larry Bird, right? Yeah, you're right. Yep. Yeah. Can you tell me when? Okay. Uh, 86. Ooh, 82. Right, 19 yeah. points, 12 rebounds, and some apparent... Uh, late clutch scoring. We've got a clip here as well. Hopefully this one has sound. Yeah. Larry Bird. Behind the trip. pass and super play. Thomas Larry Bird on his right. Back to Isaiah. Two good passers. And we will have a whistle and a foul. And it might have gone in if he hadn't up. And two years ago, 1980. Larry Bird. Between two people. Dude, the step back and then the step through. Amazing. Yeah. Like he, he had an ageless, a timeless game. I think he could have he could have contributed in this day and age. Question three. 
Who was the first Boston Celtics player to be named to the NBA All-Star Game as a rookie? And the clue is I could not find a clip for this one. Bill Russell. Close. Cousy. Cousy. The Coos. Big yeah, Coos. Right. Um, and I don't, have any, I don't have any follow-up stats from that at all. It's just a fact. He made it as a rookie. Um, understandably, no, very... no one has any yeah. stats from that yeah. game. It's too long ago. Yeah, I found it on a scroll by the ocean. The, the stats are just not recorded uh, anywhere <laughs> uh, whatsoever. But apparently that's a fact. Bob Cousy did make the All-Star game as a rookie. Spoonie, any final takeaways before we wrap this one up? Any any look ahead thoughts to the All Star break or anything going on for you over the next week? I've got a I got a quick question for you, but I do I am writing something XJ Vision how Tatum stepped up his play playmaking and Marcus Smart's absence. So be on the lookout for that on Celtics <laughs> blog. But do you care if Jason Tatum does well in the three point contest? Yes, <laughs> you do. Of course, oh, see, I do. I, I, I don't care at all, dude. I'm a stand. I just, I just want yeah, to see right. him excel in all aspects of life, on and off the court. Okay. And, you know, just the, the Twitter conversation is like, if you say he like misses an entire rack, it's like trash, fake MVP, he's not going to win. And that, that has an effect on me. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to apologize for that. So I need him to do yeah. well. Uh, I take okay. it you, you right. feel otherwise. I do not care. I hope he doesn't play. I hope he plays two minutes in the All Star game. Like I do not want him to play. And I do. I he could miss every shot in the three point contest, and I'd be like, it. It just would not bother me at all. I. I just it does not. It's not a thing for me. I don't know why. Yeah, All Star game. I definitely feel different. Like I hope, and Joe Mazzulla is going to be there to be able to be responsible for this. But like, go yeah. easy on him. Don't do the Nick Nurse, Kemba Walker thing where yeah, you just yeah, yeah. pile drive your opponent's <laughs> knees into the ground. <laughs> I mean, sure, like play Giannis lots of minutes. That's that's fine. Playing oh, all forty-eight. Uh, Actually, do the Nick the Nurse thing. Yeah, yeah. just don't do it to your own your guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, we'll see. All right, hopefully Joe's listening to this one. All right, that's going to do it for this one. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to be back on Monday to recap all the Celtics involvement in All Star Weekend, potentially with a very special guest. Just waiting on confirmation there. Fingers crossed. In the meantime, have a great weekend, Wayne Spoonie. Love your work, and we'll catch you soon. Go Celtics.